I like your screen name, Ghost Dump. Hey, thanks, dude. What's after breakfast? What's before lunch? It's Austin, Texas. It's Weird Brunch. I kept hearing this weird clicking while I was, uh, quote, at work, and, uh, Pickle kept, like, looking over in the corner every time this click thing happened. And I was like, what? What do you see, girl? Yeah, I was like, there's nothing over there. Quit. You're freaking me out. And then I looked over there again, and it's a fucking spider taking down a bug that's a little bit bigger than it. It's one of those click (gasps) bugs. Yeah, I was going to say, is it a click? The Yes. And so I got a lot of footage. (laughs) (laughs) and cj came home and i'm just sitting on the floor in the corner and he's like why are you sad i was like when have i done this when i'm sad do i just sit in a corner and stare at the wall clearly Uh, i'm watching a death struggle between a spider and a click bug yeah and then he was like well save it and i was like this is nature (laughs) <laughs> also, I mean, I personally prefer a spider to live, I think, over a click beetle. Yeah. I also was like, this spider might have kids. You don't know. Um, they could be anywhere. They could be living in your mouth right now. They probably are. Um, I did get kind of <laughs> close. But, spoiler alert, click bug got away. And it was, <gasps> Yeah. It was maybe the closest thing to like live, live wrestling that I I will see for a while. I was like, so. yeah. Live entertainment, live entertainment. Who was the heel? I guess the click bug. Mm. Or was this just like an undercard match where they were both like fighting for? I mean, it was kind of a ladder match, right? Because the click mm-hmm. bug is up in that web. Um, I would say that the spider was the heel. Hmm. But you were rooting for the heel in this one. Yeah, it was kind of like a, a run him out of town. This corner ain't big enough for the both of us. You got a lot of footage, right? So theoretically, you and Roxy could put commentary on that. Oh, yeah. I kept in my head, I was like, okay, what are some of the words I need to use here? Okay, he's got him on the rails. All right, all right. Uh, <laughs> and then I just I couldn't pull it together to get the Instagram reel. <laughs> Do it in post, you know? It's yeah. all about that content. Mm-hmm. The world needs it more than ever in these trying times. Did y'all see that fucking mayonnaise sandwich thing, Kate? God <laughs> damn, that was disgusting. <laughs> oh, that was... I made John watch it. I was like, look at this! It, it's terrifying. Part of me doesn't want to encourage them at all whatsoever in the least but the other part of me is like we should totally cross post that to the weird brunch facebook page so that people can enjoy it with us well especially now that we've talked about it lisa Mm -hmm. if you could go ahead and post that that'd be great oh i was like i'm sorry should i not bring up things that we (laughs) we not want to do wait are we not doing this anymore (laughs) oh cross promotion we talked about this guys (laughs) oh sorry (laughs) I also spent a good amount of time looking at the Instagram, uh, like their Instagram account, and nothing looked like it was a trolling account, because I was like, this can't be fucking, why did she just mash that fish together with her fucking, with her, her what was that, a 
Yeah. Just <laughs> in my in my mind just now it was her fucking hands. <laughs> just punching, just mashing it in. Oh. I it thought just, it looked like somebody got six months ahead of the grocery shortage slash economic collapse right. that's coming. Like if you had just waited till next January, we'd all be like, Oh yeah, we could do that with the four ingredients that are left to humanity. Mm-hmm. I thought it was mm. one of those, you, you know, like the five minute craft things that are like such bullshit on Instagram, like the DIY stuff. Oh, where yeah. It's just like make a scarf by cutting off the leg of your pants. Doesn't it look great kind of deal? But yeah, that's a whole mayonnaise, saltine and fish sandwich made Oof. up to look like a cake and iced with more mayonnaise and mozzarella shredded cheese on the outside of it. <laughs> Horrifying. My favorite thing is is what most a lot of people pointed out that uh, all the hard-boiled eggs were overboiled. Like you're making a video. Severely, Try Severely severely yeah. overboiled. That's that's the most important. That's part. the takeaway. Yeah. If you're gonna I mean it's not a, a single take. You can edit in better eggs, you know. I mean, those could have um, been the last eggs, though, like you said. This could be true. someone's pandemic birthday. Those, the cake. last four eggs that some chicken shat out before yeah. it died in their backyard. Mm-hmm. Karina, what's happening with food? <laughs> Wait, what? It's going away. We're not, we're not going to have food? Oh, the economic collapse that's coming? Mm-hmm. Probably going to impact the food chain because we're probably going to have massive outbreaks of covid at all the food processing plants because when is that the fall is coming and the summer suppression season is ending and we didn't even suppress it during summer suppression season so when is that right around uh three weeks after we accidentally re-elect trump god don't say that to me this is either going to be an important historic document or just a laugh later when we're all (laughs) i hope for laughter that's what I, I hope like. to laugh. Yeah, I really yeah. would prefer that. I guess welcome to Weird Brunch, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Woo. Right. 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 For now. Weird cake brunch made of mayonnaise and oh. saltines. <laughs> and- uh, welcome to Puke Brunch. I've done that. Hmm? <laughs> yeah. I'm Whitney I'm Lamont. I'm not redoing oh, it. Fucking perfect. stepped no, on don't me. Don't do it. Not redoing it. Really quick, I wanted to, so I had this most controversial TV moment from the year you were born. Fun. Karina. Yeah. Would would you like to give me a year? You can text it to me or you can say it on the podcast. I don't. You can bleep it. It's 1978. Uh, The most controversial TV moment from 1978 is NBC's Holocaust miniseries. Ooh. I don't understand why that would be controversial. What they do. Mm. She doesn't know. No. Was it, it denial? Says, it was it was supposed to be like an uncompromising look at the nineteen thirties and forties Germany. It was identified as the quality of a religious obligation. And then like uh Eli Weisel was like this is untrue, offensive, cheap. Um the film oh is an God. insult to those who perished and those who survived. So I guess it's just very poorly made. I love that the controversy is that it wasn't anti-Nazi enough, <laughs> as opposed to what the controversy would be now in 2020, which would be like, it didn't really happen. Why are we airing fiction mm. as a documentary? 
Oh my god. Whitney, what year were you born? 86. Oh, that's what I fucking wanted it to be because oh, that's when Geraldo Rivera opened Al Capone's vault. Ah, uh, notorious nice. letdown of the year. Uh-huh. What a bummer. And my year, 1985, uh, it was Tampax commercials used the word period for the first time. <laughs> oh my God. What were Tampax for before that year? Heavy nose. Were blades. they massagers? <laughs> Extra large Q tips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure it was just like, is it that time of the month? Yeah. Is your husband mad at you? <laughs> Your monthly. Well, has your body oof. betrayed you again? <laughs> Did you not produce any children this time around? Did you fail to meet your obligations to your lord and master? Yep. <laughs> Are <these>. you sloughing? <laughs> yes. Ugh. Wait. Are you what? We all hate. We all sloughing. Oh, sloth! I thought you said swathing, and I was like. Is that yeah. some new way it's to have you your swif- period? <laughs> yeah, it's when you swiffer all the sloth out. Ooh, the slough. <laughs> Ooh, I'd love a swiffer. Off. It'd be kind of cute. Like a swiffer pad instead of a maxi pad. Oh, yeah. And just one wipe mm-hmm. and you're done. And it's a tiny, like a swiffer wet jet and it just, like a yep. bidet for your, you know, lady parts. Pate. Pate. A, yeah. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> it's like the Woomba. The oh, remember that? That's a that's a SNL yeah. sketch. It is, but in this context, it seems a little more intense. The vacuum yeah. that cleans your noni. I love it forever. Well, mm-hmm. who's going first? Who's on their period? Nobody. Well. Hey, the winner, but you don't have to go first if you don't want to. <laughs> I think that means I get to go. Uh, last because I might get emotional. Okay. I think it means you're going the whole time. Oh, fuck. You're right. It is like a, it's day two or three. But Lisa actually mm-hmm. controls hers. She, it's not, it doesn't just happen. She's like, oh, I'll release for the next five mm-hmm. minutes. Release? Like a, yeah, you know, kind of yeah. like a muscle. Like, mm-hmm. or a Mr. Coffee. For the automatic drip. <laughs> I think the thing that a lot of women don't understand is that your period is just all in your head, right? Like, <laughs> the, the more, the more like, PMA you got going on, the less mm-hmm. PMS, you know? I hate mm-hmm. you. No. I hate the things you say and I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll go first. Um... Just because I'll never have a period and I don't want to lord it over you too. She's showing off. It's fine. I know. <laughs> it's all right. There's other drawbacks. Okay. So let's talk. First of all, I apologize because if you are an avid reader of Texas Monthly, I am just not exactly plagiarizing the story from this month's issue, but that is definitely the source of this um, with a couple other articles that I researched. But it's all about this guy named Theodore Robert Wright the Third. One question. And if you're yes. Already. Hmm. Do other states have month monthlies? God. Monthlies. The different meaning. We didn't even pick up on that. 
Are you trying to move somewhere where this isn't happening to you? Because I don't think <laughs> yeah. that's going to work. <laughs> I feel like every time a Texas Monthly comes out. Well, I will so say. <laughs> I mean, the entire Atlantic has a monthly. Mm-hmm. Yes, so other it, to other states do have monthlies. They're just not all all called yeah monthly. So Austin monthly, yeah. right? Uh, but like Sunset Magazine is California's. Uh, Fifty two eighty is Colorado's. Georgia but, Atlantic, or is that the newspaper there? I don't know. Georgia has a good one. Uh, <laughs> Georgia, well, actually, yeah, and, and Mississippi has Garden and Gun. Although that's now, or South Carolina has Garden and Gun, but that's regional now. I love oh, that I name. Want that one. But also Texas. <laughs> it's actually it Garden and Gun is like Playboy. It's one of those where like people are like you read Garden and Gun and you sound like a horrible person, but it's actually really good. I, They've got good articles. We're getting that for it's really you like for it's Christmas. like Texas Monthly. Texas Monthly. Like people is don't good believe shit. Texas Monthly is really yeah. good. Yeah, Garden and Gun is similar quality. Hell yeah! Yeah, I'm excited yeah. to hear the story though. So everyone, shut up. Okay. Oh. I'm just kidding. I forgot. <laughs> I just like if there was a Delaware Monthly, I want it. Do you know? Yeah, okay, that's it. I'm done. Delaware Monthly is just that's Jill a, Biden. Seven. Okay, Theodore Robert Wright the third. Uh, sounds like a really fancy name and somebody who comes from a very aristocratic family, but no, he's just this kid who grew up in Port Kent, New York. A tiny, tiny town where he was known as Teddy Wright, and the entire industry of the town revolved around a local prison, and also a factory that made railroad cars. So he grew up kind of in a middle-class home. It's about our age. So his parents owned a junk shop and then a Tex-Mex restaurant, which he described as food from Mars. And those two businesses got him sort of a middle-class upbringing until the late 90s when he was in middle school and the recession hit, uh, that first dot-com boom that nobody remembers anymore. <laughs> um, and his uh, family kind of slipped into poverty. So he grew up kind of poor, not like super poor, but he knew what poor was. And he played a lot of pranks in school and whatnot. But his big thing was he was that little twerp at school who was always trying to turn a buck, right? So at 16, he worked at the local mall selling cell phone accessories at a kiosk. How 90s is that? Fuck him. Those people were so awful. The kiosk company, as is the tradition for all kiosk companies, went bankrupt. And they couldn't pay his final paycheck, so they said, instead of that, you can have all of our inventory, all the signs and this, the displays and all the leftover, you know, cell phone cases and bedazzled chains and whatnot, right? Yep. About $80,000 worth of stuff. Whoa. He what? sold it. Who was this guy? Add it all up, right? You know? Yeah, but was he the only worker? He was the only one smart enough to negotiate for the leftover inventory, I guess. So he sold that and invested the proceeds in setting up his own kiosks. And by his 19th birthday, he had four and a half million dollars. By his what? Selling stuff out of kiosks. 19? 19th birthday, he had 40 kiosks all over the Northeast, and he had about four and a half million dollars to his name. Most of these kiosks sold novelties and games and stupid gifts, basically like an out out in the middle of the mall hot topic. Got it. Um, 
things really took off when he went to China to look for inventory and he ran into a system that pirated video games called Power Player. And you could just plug it into your TV and instantly play Space Invaders or Galaga or whatever without having to buy it. So this became a huge hit, as you can imagine, sold it out of his kiosks. It was also highly illegal. So yeah. the FBI <laughs> cracked down on Power Player and started attacking anybody who was selling it. But he was smart enough to panic and abandon the business right before he got swept up in this sting. So he grabbed $8,000 and he went to Europe to wait for the heat to die down. So that was the beginning of T.R. Wright's kind of lifestyle, right? I'm just going to call him T.R. from now on. After laying low in Europe, he comes back home. At this point, he's like 20, 21 years old, right? And he starts uh, selling car parts on a website because his parents had a junkyard when he was a child and he knew that uh, junkyard made pretty good money. And he also realized, hey, look, Amazon is starting to take off because they sold books online. I'll be the guy who sells junkyard parts online. And lo and behold, in the early 2000s, that was actually a great way to become a millionaire very quickly because nobody else was selling junk parts online. So by the time he hit 21, he was back to being a millionaire. Must be nice. <laughs> by his late 20s, he had enough money to buy a 110-foot yacht that he named Never Enough. Oh, fuck this guy. Do you like this guy yet? I fuck love it. So it could fit 12 people, a VIP cabin, a guest cabin, cruise quarters. He had a helipad on it. Anyway, that kind of thing. Casual um, helipad. It's fine. <laughs> In addition to the yacht, he, of course, was into fancy cars and watches, and then eventually got into buying airplanes. He had to learn how to fly a plane, which he did very quickly. Apparently, he's a pretty smart guy and also enjoys cutting corners. So, like, he sort of got his license, uh, the exact number of hours you need to get your license, and didn't do a lot of pre-flight checks, and flight a lot of experimental aircraft without really worrying about it. Well, yeah, he's like 20. He's like, I think at this point he's like 28, but well, still. You're still 20 until you're 40. You're still 20 until you're 40. He uh, is even playing, he's even flying gyrocopters. He got a hot air balloon license. Just loves Your flying favorite. around. Mm -hmm. He also developed at this time, it was 2012, an Instagram persona taking pictures of himself in fancy suits, flying planes, and driving fancy cars with a different girl on every arm. You know, that kind of thing. He met his good friend Raymond Fosdick <laughs> when his captain of the Never Enough hired Fosdick to pump sewage out of his yacht, and he saw Fosdick uh, making a mistake and spraying raw sewage all over himself, and TR said... You're an endearing idiot. You should be my best friend. And so he just took Fosdick around with him everywhere because he just thought he was hilarious. So he and Fosdick would just fly planes and take pictures of themselves and like pick up women and fly them to this and that, right? Living the dream. In 2012, this was one year after buying the yacht, he bought a fighter pilot training jet that required MIG parts from overseas. 
So he called up a former Soviet test pilot who he had met somehow uh, and found out that the parts he needed to fix up his old fighter pilot jet were in a Cold War base in Hungary. So he goes to Hungary and apparently there's this guy smoking a cigarette and he asks for a suitcase full of money and he gives it to him and he gets back uh, a couple weeks later enough parts uh, to keep his L-39 in flight for 200 years. And he's like, well, what am I going to do with this? Because I just got literally every part that was on this airbase in Hungary. Uh, I guess I'll do the same thing I did with my junkyard business. I'll put them online. And that's when he became an international arms dealer. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming this was on like the dark web or whatever, but... He was the kind of guy who had airplane parts for pretty much any kind of an airplane. And just like people, countries are always looking for deals to help them like fix up their fleet of aging aircraft or whatever. So pretty soon he was selling completely overhauled and non-demilitarized helicopters from Europe to Chad or whatever. I know Chad's a country, but it is very (laughs) funny. It doesn't specify in the article, so it could be. Could just be his friend Chad. Uh, Meanwhile, he's taken instas of himself flying a fighter jet in a tuxedo or like uh, floating around in a gyrocopter with Waka Flocka Flame, if that (laughs) exists at all. What? Yeah. What did he? What did he do? He he rapped some. I know. What what was the song? I couldn't tell you. So 2012, he's, he's blowing up, right? So... This is when his adventures really begin. Uh, He buys a 1966 Beechcraft Baron airplane for 46 grand and then insures it for 85 grand, which is something you typically do when you buy um, a vehicle that you're planning on fixing up. So this is not illegal. It's just what you do. Like if you buy an old Corvette, you can insure it for what the Corvette will eventually be worth when you're done fixing it. Oh, you can do that? You can. You just have to not lie when it breaks about the condition it was in. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so in September of 2012, he and Fosdick were flying the plane from Texas, where he was based, to in Houston area, uh, to Florida. And apparently it had some sort of mechanical failure. So they ditched out and it sank and they started a live stream from the Gulf of Mexico using his iPad. This goes viral. He's on the Today Show and everything. He does eventually get rescued after three hours. Somebody notices his Instagramming or whatever, and Coast Guard comes and picks him up. Big news story, uh, especially in 2012. Like, oh, this guy used his iPad to call the Coast Guard from the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. You can see how that was like clickbait eight years ago. Steve Jobs' dick just gets really hard. (laughs) Yeah, he was still alive yeah. then. It was. This is pre-rigor mortis hard. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so he and Fostick become kind of famous, right? Or at least they're the news story of the week. This is starting to sound Icarus. Mm, kind of. If Icarus wanted shit to be bad. So in September of 2013, Fosdick, who got a broken arm in the crash, sues TR for the injuries that he received, and the case is settled for one hundred thousand dollars. Also, the plane that he insured for eighty-five grand, he did get that recouped. In t- November twenty thirteen, he had a two thousand eight Lamborghini Gallardo, 
which uh, he had a he had bought for seventy six grand, but he had insured for one hundred and sixty nine thousand dollars. He drove that into a ditch full of water and collected the insurance payment. In March 2014, he bought a Cessna 500 for 190000 insured it for 440000 and then lo and behold, it caught on fire in the hangar in Athens, Texas. So he collected that $440,000. Just after that, he bought a sailboat for fifty grand and parked it in a marina in Hawaii. It was insured for $195,000, and then it mysteriously sank. And he got the payout. <laughs> so at this point, all the shit happening in the span of basically one year. Now, he had been, all these insurance companies had been paying out to various shell companies that TR owned. It wasn't all in his name. You understand, like complicated business dealings or making this a little less obvious than I just presented it. But it all was traceable back to TR, and he always got the proceeds of the money. In fact, uh, the money from the sinking boat he used to buy a Learjet that used to be owned by Jerry Springer. Dang. So, yeah. <laughs> but there's some stories from that airplane. Oh. At this point, the feds start looking into him. And in particular, after the airplane fire in Texas, just because airplanes in working condition don't just catch on fire all by themselves in an airplane hangar. And it was like this super clear case of arson. So the feds are investigating that as arson. They checked the records of the airport. Now, most of these little airports don't really keep good flight records of who takes off and lands. But this one in Athens, Texas, they follow the rules. And they had a record of TR visiting and flying the little plane around. And then four days later, there was a guy snooping around and he didn't fly any of the planes, but he did get identified by one of the airfield employees and kind of described. And lo and behold, the description matched Fosdick. The next day, the plane caught on fire. So the investigating guy, Reed, uh, he Googles Fosdick and TR right just to see if there's any connection. And lo and behold, all of those news stories from when they crashed in the Gulf of Mexico turn up. And he's like, these two know each other. Oh, by the way, that plane crash in the Gulf of Mexico turned out to be a publicity stunt for a waterproof iPad case that TR was selling. So that's a fun. <laughs> that's a double whammy. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. He crashed it on purpose so he could do the iPad thing Damn, and say, look how good the waterproofing case is. So cell phone cases and junkyard parts just his whole life. They start connecting the dots on all of these. Uh, it turns out that when Fosdick sued him and won, the lawsuit was paid out uh, by the insurance company and that they traced a wire um, of money from Fosdick back to right for half the proceeds, $46,000. So basically, the insurance company not only paid out on the burnt up plane or the sunken plane, but they also paid out on the injury in the lawsuit, which both Fosdick and Wright got the cash for. So they made a lot of money on crashing that plane on purpose. Noted. Also, the guy in Hawaii whose harbor he had parked his new boat in that mysteriously sank, yeah, that guy was in on it, and he got kickbacks from the insurance payout. So like, it wasn't hard for them to connect all the dots. 
In fact, when Reed, the investigator, went to the guy in Hawaii and said, hey, uh, I want to talk about Mr. Wright, he expected, like, you know, a whole wall of omerta. But instead, the dude was like, let me tell you something. That was some shady shit. I did all that on purpose. He was like, wow. Okay, so he got all the goods on the boat sinking. And then he went to Fosdick thinking, okay, I'll use the boat sinking to show Fosdick that I'm onto him. And he sits down with Fosdick and is like, let's talk about your friend T.R. Wright. And Fosdick's like, yeah, he's a shady guy. Here's all the shit we did together. So both of them totally flipped on him right away. Now the question is, how do you catch this guy? Because let's not forget, in 2014, he is an international arms dealer with his own pilot's license and millions and millions of dollars. In fact, that was the part of this case that was always hardest to prove, was that, yeah, they were pretty sure that all four of these were straight-up insurance fraud for the money, but he did not need the money. He seemed to have been doing it for fucking fun. What was the name of his yacht? Never Satisfied? Never Enough? Never Never Enough. enough. Well, it was named Never Enough, but see, the thing is, in 2015, he had met the love (gasps) of his life, and they had gotten married. And they had a baby girl. And he renamed the yacht after his baby girl. What is it? And all of a sudden. Oh, okay. (laughs) uh, It's not printed, I guess, for her privacy. Uh, And all of a sudden, all of his Learjets and boats stopped burning up slash sinking. And just he kind of went as legit as you can go as an international Mm -hmm. arms dealer. So, like, the trail had gone cold in terms of new shit. But the... uh, Special thing about the Athens, Texas insurance fraud is that Texas has no statute of limitations on insurance fraud, so they could keep pursuing it and keep tying the dots together and all that. I love that that we don't have statute of limitations on shit like insurance fraud, but when it comes to, you know, rape or murder, that type of thing, fuck it. Any way you can hang somebody, we'll Mm. keep it on the books. So the case has really come together in 2017. And uh, he's starting to talk to the U.S. Marshals like, all right, we want to arrest this guy. We have enough to to prosecute him, um, but we don't know where he is. Can you help us find out where he is? And they're like, yeah, we've been keeping an eye on this guy for all the other reasons, right? So they finally get a hit in Las Vegas. It turns out he is staying at, you'll never guess, which hotel in Las Vegas. That's right. Trump International. So he's at the Trump. (laughs) (laughs) He's at the Trump Hotel in Vegas, where he often goes to do some high rolling, and they've got cell phone records to prove that he's there right now. So Reed hops in a plane, flies to Vegas, gets together the uh, U.S. Marshals to set up a sting to catch him leaving the hotel. And not only did they set up a sting, they went about it in like a '70s action film way. So there's almost a dozen agents. (gasps) dressed up to blend in on the casino floor. That's I want to so watch fun. it. One of them, this is the list, a janitor with a push broom, yes. a gardener, a yes. tourist with a camera, yeah. a man dressed in a full cowboy outfit, oh. and one guy that TR swears he saw dressed up like an Indian from the village people. Oh my God. I fuck yeah. love that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Reed's there. So they're waiting in the hotel lobby. Meanwhile, on the 60th floor in the penthouse suite, TR's closing a deal with Israel on which he had staked 95% of his net worth while his wife and baby are playing in the next room. 
So he's like close to getting paid and he's kind of waiting by the telex machine or whatever to see that the money's been transferred to his account. Meanwhile, he's actually in Vegas to deliver a bribe to an official of a foreign government as part of this deal. So he's got a suitcase in which (laughs) he's got a suitcase in which he has $70,000 cash. It's a Louis Vuitton briefcase, actually. $70,000 in cash, the title for a Ferrari, two pistols, two cell phones, one of which is a burner. And he has all that on him when he takes the elevator down to the lobby to go deliver this bribe. Uh oh. He exits the elevator. Reed recognizes him from the photos that he's been studying for whatever, God knows how many years, five years at this point. And as he walks out of the hotel, everybody in the like valet parking circle outside the hotel turns to him, the janitor, the gardener, the cowboy, the Indian, right? And they say, TR right, you're under arrest. And, and he they freezes. Did the YMCA. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. <laughs> so he freezes. And he's like, what's going on? And they're like, what's in the briefcase? And he's like, nothing. And they're like, let me see. And then he opens the briefcase. And it's like a fucking Jason Bourne starter kit, right? So they're like, oh, my God, it's two pistols, 70 grand, two burner phones, and a Ferrari title. What are you doing? And TR's like, I'm running some errands. (laughs) Just casual errands. Going to Walgreens. Yeah. So they, they arrest him, right? Uh, he immediately hires Gabriel Grasso, uh, a high-powered lawyer who represented O.J. Simpson, not in the O.J. Simpson trial, but in that sports memorabilia one mm-hmm. <laughs> from 2007. That also happened in Vegas, if I remember yes. correctly. At the uh, holding hearing, Grasso argues that TR should get a conditional release on a $150,000 bond. And the feds are like, are you kidding? He's an international arms dealer with secret identities, a briefcase full of cash, and a pilot's license. No, he shouldn't get bond. But the judge says, 150 grand, hand over your pilot's license and your passport, wear an ankle monitor, and you're free until the you can be arraigned. So Reed's like, we're never going to see him again. He's gone, right? But he goes back to Beaumont. He gets his affairs in order. He sets his family up to make sure his daughter's taken care of. And 10 days later, he shows up in a Beaumont court hearing, sits right down there. No flight risk at all. And apparently, usually these are like 20 minutes to just do a detention hearing. This one ran for three hours because it was so full of crazy ass details about this guy's life and what he'd been doing. He was selling helicopters to the Zetas. He was, you know dealing uh, fighter jets to third world countries right so like it's a long list of reasons why he should be detained apparently he once fired a blank round at a business partner's head to threaten him uh and tr actually raised his hand in court and said that couldn't have happened i always keep a round in the chamber anyway (laughs) (laughs) this dude really wants to be james bond clearly um and of course he can fly like any plane or helicopter known to man so they're like, okay, he can't, he's a flight risk. He's got to be completely kept and held without bail. Once again, the judge is like, mm. So like, oh God, he's going to get away with this. He's got his high powered lawyers or whatever. They come back, they hold the hearing. They read all of the charges to commit arson and conspiracy and wire fraud because all they're catching him on is all those sunken boats and planes. Mm-hmm. And TR says, yep, guilty. And like the feds are like, 
holy shit. And the judge is like, okay, 65 months in low security prison and a million dollars in restitution. He's like, cool. So now he's sitting in jail in Texas. He gets out February 2022. The only thing he's upset about is that Fosdick saying like a canary. <laughs> but he's like, I mean, I did all the things and I got caught. So now I'm doing my punishment, which is 65 months yeah. in a low security prison. And he's getting his PhD in arms dealing. <laughs> well, he's getting a PhD in business administration. It's like an course. MBA, but a PhD in it. Because he says, if someone's going to call me a con man or say I'm an asshole, well, now it'll be Dr. Asshole. Like, <laughs> um, I like that. Yeah. Uh, basically, he pled guilty because of all the things he's done, the shit they got him for wasn't the word least bad. Definitely not. And it was almost like he committed, uh, you know, he said he claims he just did it for the fun. But people are saying this guy's really smart. He probably committed obvious arson and insurance claims in order to provide a low-hanging fruit so that he would get caught, do his time, go clean, get out of the biz without getting, like, served for what he was really doing. Like, this was all part of his master plan. I mean, that's smart. Also, he didn't make a small chunk of change on it. He had about $35 million in fraudulent insurance claims around the world by the time he was done. And that's the story of T.R. Wright. Does he ever talk about why he lives in Beaumont? <laughs> when you have no. that much money? When Beaumont was mentioned, Lisa was like, wait, what? That was the face. I think he bases his junkyard, so to speak, for illegal airplane parts in the Houston Beaumont area because it's a major port of entry. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure he has multiple actual residences all over the place. Like, he seems like the kind of guy who has a house in every time zone, right? Mm -hmm. so but is he, his but business was in Beaumont, and he was busted in an airport near Beaumont for the fraud. So that's why all that. Maybe Beaumont isn't as trashy as you think it is. Mm. Or maybe I that mean, just validates it. This, if this is... If this is the wealthiest man in Beaumont, then I'd say you can still call it trashy. <laughs> like a, a tux-wearing arm dealer who flies flight fighter jets and snaps himself on Instagram with Waka Flocka Flame. That sounds mm -hmm. very Beaumont to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is a private school there, so. <laughs> Dang. One whole <laughs> private school. Mm -hmm. I, well, Woo! we take it all back, Beaumont. Yep. Sorry. Woo. Um, I love that. I'm going to talk about a dude who was doing some shady business deals as well. Nice. Yeah. I'm going to stand up because my butt hurts. Cool. Um, but mine takes place in Tucson, Arizona. So oh, get ready for another fancy place. Fun stuff. All right. Today I'm talking about a guy named Charles Chuck Morgan. He was a 39-year-old businessman living in exotic Tucson, Arizona. He's married. He has two kids and his own blooming escrow agency, right? Ooh. Yeah. Escrow. That's sexy. Fun escrow, uh, which I only lightly understand, but, you know, whatever. So 
in the 1970s in Arizona, a lot of um, mafia people moved there, like 500 people or so who had been working in the five families in New York were like, fuck New York, we're going to Tucson because Arizona has this weird lax property law where you can basically buy land and property through shady-ish ways and you don't have to have your name like you can kind of be anonymous and own a piece of property and so the mafia was like hey that sounds fucking cool let's go do that what a great way to launder money by just buying a bunch of random land in the desert and uh bingo love it so Let's talk about our friend Chuck. So Chuck obviously has this company going on. He's starting to kind of be involved with possibly the Bonanno. Is it Bonanno? Is that how you say it? Family? It's I like I like it that way. Well, it's so. they're one of the five families from New York that were like the huge, you know. Guys. Is it Bonaro? No, B-O-N-A-N-N-O. And okay. I'm sure someone out there is like, you fucking idiots, because we should know. But <laughs> Yeah, sorry. we're probably all going to be on a list now. Yeah. On March 22nd, 1977, Chuck leaves his house with to take his two kids to school, his daughters, and he's supposed to go to work after that and then come home. Normal day, right? But... Chuck does not show up at home that night. And they're like, uh-oh, what the fuck is going on? Where it where's where the fuck is Chuck? And he's missing for 3 days. And then at 2 a.m. on the third night, his wife Ruth hears this like banging on the door, their back door. She goes there, opens it. Holy shit, it's Chuck. Oh, thank God. But Chuck, he, his hands have zip ties on him. There's a, like a plastic type handcuff restraint on his ankle. He's all fucked up looking. He can't speak. And she's like, holy shit, Chuck, come inside, obviously. He gets a pen, writes down like, hey, I can't talk because they put some type of drug on my throat that prevents me from speaking. I don't know how that's what? possible. Maybe if they had dropped something down his throat. Everywhere I've read, it says he had a drug on his throat that made him. Like a numbing agent, maybe? I have yeah. no idea. Or like a but drying. But it's, it's a type of mm. paint. And if ingested, his nervous system would stop working and cause his death. But I don't know how you ingest it. Or maybe it was. I Anyways. I don't know. I couldn't find anything else out about it. It's what year was this? Seventy-seven. Man, they had good drugs in this. They 70s. really did, man. I bet he had lewds at some point. Anyways, not everything's about lewds. <laughs> yes, it, it I is. wish it was though. I do wish it was. <laughs> I like that. That's said the same tone as not everything, everything's about you. <laughs> not, everything's not everything's about, about lewds. Um. Okay. So. He's like, Ruth, I need you to go outside. I need you to move my car into the backyard. Like, I don't want people knowing I'm here. I just need to, like, fucking chill out because I was kidnapped, tortured, and I'm pretty sure there's a hit out on me. 
but I'm home now. I just need to like get back to being healthy. She's like, cool. She takes care of him. Over a few weeks, he gets better. Um, he's, he stays in the yeah, house. Yeah. Like an idiot. Yeah. So he says he has had somewhat of a secret identity that he hasn't been fully telling his wife about. And it's, she's probably like, yeah, no shit, bro. Um, he hinted that he had been helping one of these unmentioned families to like with the mafia to kind of launder their money through his escrow company. But he also said that he was at the same time working for the government to spy on these people. He was working for the treasury as a spy to like infiltrate this (laughs) organized crime ring in Tucson, Arizona. Treasury Department has spies? Yes. And he says that he used to have a card that said he was working for the Treasury, but that it was stolen when he was kidnapped. So once he finally gets back on his feet, he's obviously... Yeah, not a great spy. Yeah. Also, I don't think they would give a spy um, just like a card. Like, what's up? I'm Whitney Lamond, spy, treasury. Well, the treasury like, department, if it has spies, would do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nerds. Uh, I imagine that he had it and like he had made it with like crayon. Probably. <laughs> I must It has a little star on it. Printed it out at um, Office Max. Yes. And it's laminated, don't forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's recovered. He starts to wear a bulletproof vest at all times. He's like, guess what, kids? You're not taking the bus to school anymore. I will take you to and from school no matter what. No one else is allowed to pick you up unless it's me or your mom specifically. And that's how it's just going to go. He also tells his dad that he's going to write a letter just in case something does end up happening to him that's going to explain everything that's going on. So this goes on. Wait, so now he's writing a letter? Well, he mentioned it, but this letter, to what my research has shown, has not ever surfaced. Two months go by of him wearing his bulletproof vest and just pretending everything's sort of fine, but also being terrified. Guess what happens? He drops his kids off from work and doesn't, or for school, and he doesn't show up to work. Bum, bum, bum. Where the hell did Chuck go? It's nine days later that he's missing again. And Ruth, his wife, gets a call from a woman who did not identify herself. And all she said on the phone was, Chuck is all right, Ecclesiastics 12, 1 through 8. No, come on. So this is the passage of Ecclesiastics. Men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. 
Woo, what does it mean? Two days after this call, they find good old Chuck's dead body in the middle of the desert. I thought you were going to say church. In the middle of a in church. In the middle of a church. Nope. In the middle of the desert. Chuck is still wearing his bulletproof vest. That's good. He has a gunshot wound to the back of his head. That's bad. It was from his own, <laughs> from his own gun, a three fifty seven Magnum, that was laying beside his body. Inside his abandoned vehicle are weapons, ammunitions, one of his own teeth wrapped up in like a paper towel. For the tooth fairy. <laughs> for the tooth fairy. For, you never that's know. That's what's in that Bible His, passage. That's the Bible passage about the tooth fairy. That's the mm-hmm. one like right after yeah. it. His car had been altered to unlock from the fender, which I don't get how you do that. But there's that. The 70s were weird, man. <laughs> there are no fingerprints at the crime scene including none on the gun that was next to him. His hand had gunpowder on it, but it was on his left hand, and Chuck was right-handed. His belt buckle had a knife in it. A piece of paper direction was found in the car that had directions to the spot where he was. There's a pair of sunglasses that weren't his, they find a $2 bill clipped inside his underwear. Oh, yeah. And on it are written, there's like a little map written on it. And there's seven Spanish names beginning with the letters A through G. So it's Acevedo, Barajano, Cairo, Duarte, Encinas, Fuente, Gradillas. So A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Above the names is Again, Ecclesiastes 12, with an arrow pointed at the numbers 1 and 8 in the bill, like the serial number of the dollar bill, $2 bill. And then, yeah, like I said, there's a map drawn on this. So they're like, wow, this is a bunch of really weird fucking evidence. We're the authorities. Let's check this out, right? A game is afoot. <laughs> yeah. And the authorities are like, you know what? This is definitely a suicide. Yep. Done. Uh, no, of course, you can easily we all gotta go home. You know, shoot yourself in the back of the head out in the middle of the desert. It's great. Mm-hmm. So this journalist, Don Devereaux, love it, is like, you know what? I don't necessarily agree with you that he killed himself. This just seems entirely implausible. And his wife is like, yeah, fuck no. Obviously, he didn't kill himself. Two days after his body is found, this woman who calls herself Green Eyes calls the police and is like, what? yo. Oh, I'm, no, I can't with that. I can't with what? that. What's what's the matter, Green Eyes? Is- <laughs> Like she just, they were, she was just like, mm-hmm. I'm green eyes and I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my She's God. like, what's up? I'm green eyes. I was with Chuck for a few days before his death. He had a suitcase full of money with him. And what he told me was that these organized crime people were like, yo, we need to kill Chuck. He knows too much. Let's put a hit out on him. 
And Chuck decided to try and do his own thing and basically buy his own head, if that makes sense. So he's trying to pay off whoever is coming to kill him. And this is what old Green Eyes tells the police. After that, they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. We're still ruling this as a suicide. (laughs) Uh, But Devereaux knows about it, and he's like, this is shady shit. Two days after that call, Ruth, Chuck's wife, gets visited by people claiming they're FBI agents. They kind of just flash badges, storm into the house, tear apart everything, didn't say what they were looking for, didn't look like they found anything, and then they just leave. The FBI... Are we sure this isn't a did not, plot recap to season four of True Detective? It might be. Okay. It should be True Detective, right? Uh, Don Devereaux contacted the FBI to ask if they could release any information about the case And the FBI said they couldn't because they didn't even know who Charles Morgan was. So, boom. There's more, though. This is like Cloud Atlas within Cloud Atlas. (laughs) (laughs) So, Devereaux keeps digging. And he finds out, obviously, that Chuck had been heavily involved in money laundering in the early 70s. And by 73, his, he's using his escrow business to launder large sales of gold and platinum over a billion dollars. And it's all mostly coming from Southeast Asia. Chuck kept duplicate records of all of the illegal transactions, hoping that it could save him something in the future. According to rumors, undercover CIA agents and people from the Department of the Defense and exile Vietnamese government officials were also supposedly all involved in what Chuck was doing. So one theory is that he was actually killed by our government because he knew too much and that it wasn't the mob. Probably. And, you know, the government, especially the Treasury Department, love promoting $2 bills. You know, like, hey, remember these? Aren't they fun? Chuck worked with at least one organized crime family who could have had him killed, like I said, if because he knew too much. At the time of his death, Chuck was also an involuntary witness for the Arizona General Attorney's Office inquest involving a bank in Arizona that was supposedly, you know, partaking in illegal activity. So he's got his little paws in a lot of places. So Devereaux finds all this stuff out. And years later, in 1990, this guy named Doug Johnson ends up getting shot This is just a random guy. He gets killed in his car out in front of his company that he works for. It's like a computer graphics company in Phoenix, Arizona. Nobody cares. But what it ended up being is Devereaux, this reporter who's been digging into the case for so long, he worked across the street and he drove the exact same car as this Doug Johnson guy who got killed. So they think that that hit 
was actually meant for Devereaux, but they got the wrong guy. Aw. Poor Doug. His name was already Doug. A year after this, another reporter named Danny Casolaro hits up Devereaux and is like, I've been digging and digging into this thing. I'm particularly concerned about the transactions that Chuck was doing. And Devereaux's like, cool, send me the material you have, and we can see if maybe what you've got going on is similar to what I've got going on. And the day before he was supposed to do that, Casalaro is found dead in his hotel in a bathtub. And his wrists had been slish, slashed 12 different times. A suicide note is found, and it just says, To my loved ones, please forgive me, most especially my son, and be understanding, God will let me in. That's confident. Yeah. His family <laughs> refused to accept the suicide as well, saying he was super afraid of needles and hated blood. So if he was going to kill himself, he definitely wouldn't have done it this way. He was too much of a pussy. Uh, <laughs> like the little Italian accent on it. Thank you. That's where the trail goes cold. Ruth died in 2006, and nobody knows what actually happened to our friend Chuck Morgan. Bum, bum, boom. Oh, people fucking know. There's cops that know, but they're paid off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People who know their Bible know what happened. That's <laughs> true. Ecclesiastes, yo. Mm-hmm. You know, how I feel like it's fairly often that people leave like threatening things through the Bible, through Bible verses. I mean, it's the most cryptic kind of fun way to do it, and everyone knows the Bible. Yeah, it's the book mm-hmm. you have at, at hand when you're composing your creepy note in your hotel room. That's true, too. That's true. Man, I hope I'm never like murdered in a hotel bathtub. That just seems like. Icky. The worst. I always think, I don't know, in my head, getting murdered in a bathtub reminds me of that movie, What Lies Beneath, where she's like (gasps) paralyzed and she's trying to like move the, get her toe to work so she can unplug the water and not drown. Mm -hmm. That's how I see it. Hmm. Fun. I liked that movie because it was scary, but it wasn't too scary for me when it Mm -hmm. came out. Mm -hmm. But I also hated that movie because... I love Harrison Ford. I know. You don't want to see Harrison Ford as a bad guy, especially a wife-killing bad guy. Yeah. Oof. Does Tucson still have a lot of bonobo family or whatever? <laughs> no. I know that that's an ape. I know that's an ape. I, I, I don't know. But I um, forgot what the family I bet there, if there was that many there, I would guess yes. Did y'all know that Beaumont is also a mafia town? Mm. All of the crime okay all of the uh like crime bosses and and whatever that were in galveston during the storm of 1901 or whatever uh they all moved to beaumont started shit up there did they commit a lot of insurance fraud there is that a well i do know that the thing that uh what was his name yun win from the lois duncan story I know that the fraud that he was involved in was, you know, vehicle, like you'd get in kind of a fake wreck, you'd force yourself into a wreck. Oh, yeah. Right. I do know that that was happening a lot in Beaumont. 
Well, my story is vastly different. Let's go back to... Okay, well, hold up, hold up, hold up. Y'all remember, like, how all the uh, witches got burned? Uh Uh-huh. Yes. All of them. Okay. Every last one. We Mm -hmm. didn't leave one. (laughs) Mm -mm, Not one behind. Let's fast forward about 100 years to 1736. A woman named Mary Diamond is born. Her father's a shoemaker in Lynn, Massachusetts. And it's actually, it's believed that she did have some education, which is weird because 1736, (laughs) women don't need to know things. Um, I mean, some education in 1736 is like the ability to speak. (laughs) She wasn't Nell. Um, I mean, Nell could speak. She just had her own language. Okay. Mm hmm. She, her twin just wasn't there She anymore. was just a tay in the wind. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's see. And then October 1760, she marries Robert Pitcher. And the thought around that is that he was an apprentice to her father. The couple lives with her parents. They have four children. And then shortly after her marriage, she becomes known as a fortune teller. Of Mm. significant skill. But all the witches are dead. How? Well, I guess people did some growing up in a hundred years, you know? Mm. Her grandfather, Captain Aholieb Diamond, mm -hmm, was known as the Wizard of Marblehead, Massachusetts. Uh, (laughs) that's one of those beautiful nicknames that cancels itself out oh i i know the wizard of marblehead and so he would use his powers to save sailors from shipwrecks during storms uh he also would be able to locate thieves the people as well as the lost objects thanks a holy ab Mm mm-hmm also, at the time that she marries Robert Pitcher, we move into calling her Mall Pitcher. So, and that's M-O-L-L, like Molly, without the Y. So she grew up to share her grandfather's reputation. She One of the stories about her is that she had passed military British military secrets to George Washington, and she had prophesized that he would be president. Before there was such thing as a president? Yeah. Yeah. Or like when they were like, someone needs to rule this. She's like, let's call it a president. And George Washington. No, I don't know. <laughs> she also wrote the preamble. It's great. Uh, you mean she predicted, she predicted the uni- this year. She predicted the unanimous election? That was, wow. Who could have seen that coming? Yeah. Has there been a prediction of 2020 being a piece of shit? Like, is that some, like, like Nostradamus Nostradamus stuff? The Mayans, and we were all off eight years in our math. That's true. Did that come out to be true, that we were off eight years? I mean, look around. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So Maul's out here. She's doing her tea leaf thing for, like, 50 fucking years. And, dude, everyone's like, dude, the thing, it happened. And they're, like, just loyal as fuck. They're reaching out. They're like, you know, oh, Margaret, you got to go check out this this mall lady uh, at the mall. She was consulted by, like, all kinds of folks, meaning, you know, back in those times, there 
there was a lot of socioeconomic, like very clear class differentiations and like everybody would come to see her. She had predictions about love affairs, uh uh-oh, legacies, crime, and seeing into the future. (laughs) So the most important one, though, was her predictions involving the outcome of these voyages. So similar to her grandfather, she was like, yo, that ship's gonna wreck. Or she'd be like, you're good. So Cruz would just like refuse to sail if she predicted it was going to be a problem. And the ship owners were like, well, uh, that is how I make money. I'm not sending that out. Treasure seekers also consulted her and it just really pissed her off a lot. She was, (laughs) this is a quote, fools. If I knew where money was buried, do you think I would want to part with the secret? She's got a point. Mm-hmm. She's got a really good... Yeah, fuck them. Why don't more fortune tellers point that out? I know. Many people thought she was a witch, and had she had that been the case a century before, then yeah, would have been hanged, right? This is going to sound like I'm jumping ahead, because I am, but... So she died at the age of 75. The home where she was born and lived continues to stand in a way in Marblehead, Massachusetts. Since after her passing, she becomes the subject of books, um, plays, and a 900-line poem by John Greenleaf Whittier. Whittier. Mm, I don't know how bougie he is. (laughs) So the poem... Not complimentary. (laughs) He describes her as a witch engaged in sinful shit. And she was initially buried in an unmarked grave. And then in 1887, a tombstone went up with lines from that fuckhead's poem. Oh, man. Rude. Would you like to hear them? Absolutely. Please read them. Even she, our own weird heroine, soul pythoness of ancient Lynn, sleeps calmly where her living laid her, and the wide realm of sorcery left by its latest mistress free, hath found no gray and skilled invader. So he's like, magic's whatever the fuck she was doing is dead too. Like That sounds cool though. Python what? Pythoness. I love it. I do love that. That's actually the only word that I really wanted to read out of any of that. So in July 12th, around July 12th, uh, 1829, the Boston Traveler's like, people don't know a lot about this bitch. Let's do some digging. So they do a whole ass write up. And this from here on out is all from that. But I have edited it to my own words and i apologize i probably should have just read the fucking thing but (laughs) yeah so little's been written about her everything that anybody like these stories and everything they all all of these stories live in like old folks memories which hit or miss (laughs) something i thought was really cool is that any port in europe that american ships would like plowing into like all of those port people were like oh we know that bitch. So like the people in the port towns would be like, oh shit, Americans. And then they'd be like, tell me more about that bitch. And then wealthy European nobles actually crossed the Atlantic in order to have their fortunes told by her. Mm. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And then less wealthy Europeans would send stuff over uh, to get their fortunes told from old Maldog. So, like, kind of the same as the lowest that where it's like, yeah, just send us some shit and we can, we'll tell you stuff. So, another thing uh, that they talk about is her house. Whatever your pitch, like, whatever you picture is like the witch's house in the city uh, or in the town, that's what it is. Um, so, she lived on Essex Street and it was a black two story uh, building in large field. Which, oh, in, <laughs> in a large field that they called Pitcherfield, because that's her last name. So it's, uh, you, you see like a well beaten path from like this old shitty gate to a single door, uh, which, oh, by the way, used to just be a block of stone, I guess before doors, but I thought doors were around in the 1700s. Yeah. Fuck me. I guess maybe she was like, fuck it, just put the stone up. Who cares? Also, the doors, this path that you're following, the door is to the far left of the house. So, like, there's no ring or anything. It's just people that are like, nah, nobody can see me from where I came in from. So they're also like, oh, the stone? No. And then you enter into the home, small entryway. This opens up into a pretty big room with two rooms off of it. And this is like, you know... Where where she does business, where she sets up shop, it's like that tarot building on uh on I thirty five that I'm I, I yeah. will not go into. It's terrifying mm-hmm. to me. It's too gated. It's too. It looks like a fortress. Mm-hmm. I will not. It's terrifying. Oh, I almost no. made that joke too. Oh. oh no! Also, like a neon sign for your tarot. I don't trust it. Anyway. <laughs> And then, like, very few people lived around there. It's uh, reported as, like, the most empty section of this city. And kids, of course, are like, absolutely the fuck not, Johnny. Uh, whenever he's like, let's go play at the house, but it's after dark. Uh, just classic witch house shit. I love it. So by the time the Boston Traveler wrote this in 1829, Essex Street was, like, top-notch hot spot gentrification let's go and the house had been remodeled beyond recognition and then Pitcherfield is now just like a neighborhood or like a subdivision so it still stands but you would not know hmm. it was hers Summer. people described mall as an old hag you know she never <laughs> smiled she's got no sympathy um, just again, classic witch shit. And then this guy, uh, he was a local artist, Mr. Hobart Linton, drew a portrait of her. And the people that like would see her frequently or regularly were like, this is a, fu- wh- who is this? This is awful. What have you done to this woman? Cause he represents her as this like worn out, woman dressed in like a heavy hood carrying a wonky ass cane and like in her face it's just like kind of dead-eyed and there's like this weird childness and like weakness to it uh it's a weird fucking yeah piece of art but guess what untrue she was very hot especially when she was younger very tall, very thin, piercing black eyes, and a long, I hope this isn't racist, Athenian nose. Hmm. 
I I thought you said when you said piercing, I was like, she had fucking piercings, but piercing oh, eyes, different, different. CC. But apparently an Athenian nose, at least in 1829, indicated great shrewdness. It's not bad to be shrewd. No. She was also one of the like most fashionable babes of the day. Um, she was light in complexion. Can you even believe it? The witch was pale. <laughs> she generally wore a black bonnet, which was very fashionable in those days and still was in 1829. And then obviously, you know, you get older, some shit changes around. Some, some parts get longer, some get lower. Um, also, some get this both. Bitch lived- <laughs> yes. Also, this bitch lived for fucking ever. It's the 1700s, and she lives to like till she's 75. That's like 120 in conversion um, to now. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, inflation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the inflation of. I mean, as soon as they make that pill that I get to live forever, I'm taking it yesterday. Um, she so. Maul had her shit together till the end years, though, too. Cause so, like, she didn't like start deteriorating. Um, she also, like, when she was 70, she was like, Watch me walk like y'all 30 year old grandparents. Look, I don't need a cane. Like, she didn't wobble or anything. She, she was good. She also, she had four children, a son, John, and then three daughters, Rebecca, Ruth, and Lydia. Every time somebody was like, Uh, hey, I want to come through. I want you to give me some fortunes. Tell me some fortunes. Uh, she wanted to know everything about them and like why they were coming in and like, you know, what's going on. But she also didn't want to ask because that would be sus as fuck because bitch is supposed to know. <laughs> so enter her daughter, Rebecca, Becky. She's basically like the hostess for <laughs> witchcraft, I guess. Uh, so, you know, they come in and she'll talk to the clients. She'll be like, oh, my, my mom's away. She's going to be right back. Or like she, you know, is taking a pit. I don't know. She'd be like, she's not here. And then mom, mall, mama mall. She was in, uh, (laughs) she was in like the next room. One of those two rooms off of the big one. And she's just listening. I love it. I love it. She's just listening. Uh, and then once she was like, okay, okay, I got it. I got it. She sneaks out of like the window to that room and then comes back in the front door like, I'm back. And then she'd be like, oh, I know exactly why you're here. And then people are like, how does she know? And she was really good at judging human nature and like knowing events. So she was pretty good at being like, okay, you're taking this this way. So when this happens, inevitably, then you're going to act like that. So she was very good at being like, this is what's going to happen or at least likely happen. She was a prophet. She would tell you where lost things can be found. I bet she was always like, it's going to be in the last place you look. She made lovers gross happy. Uh, and she was good at keeping boats in the wharf for weeks because sailors were like, nah, she said shipwreck and this tobacco can fucking suck my dick. We're not going. So captains had to, when that happened so often, captains would go in and find new sailors who didn't even know her. They were like, don't, you're not allowed to go over there. I need you to move this tobacco. I'm assuming. 
Sometimes mall would charge uh, a lot, and some people were like, mm I don't have that. Like, this is, why are you asking me for $100? I've never seen $100, $17, whatever. (laughs) What are $? Are those like presidents? Yeah, Yeah, as soon as I said it, I was like, I'm going to catch that one. (laughs) (laughs) So, so those people that were like, I can't, mall dog, I I don't got it. Uh, She she would be like, oh, okay, but. That does mean that the devil's coming for you. And <laughs> that's every what my time... last sliding scale therapist told me. Oh shit! No, I'm <laughs> uh, I've only got fifty-five. Okay. Um, but you, no, know, you know, the what? voices in your head are real. So, yeah, <laughs> this isn't your parents' fault. Um... <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> so. uh... Every time she's like, devil's coming, this like incredibly loud, like dragging chain noise would like be right above the client. And she would be like, that's the chain attached to the devil. Like he's, he's ready. He's coming for you like right now. And those motherfuckers would pay up um, every time immediately. And then the noise would stop as soon as they paid. Weird. Uh, and this was Becky again. <laughs> Old Becky. Becky, Becky, Becky. So what she would do is there w- they had this huge ox chain, but it wasn't like, obviously she could move it. So she was both a powerful woman and the ox chain wasn't that heavy. So she would just drag it around the room above and <laughs> I just, I love it. Um, also, like, what the fuck was she doing before she had kids, you know? So one day, a bunch of drunk sailors come swaggering up to the gate, and they're like, is she at home? I don't know. So they, like, walk towards the house. Even though they didn't see anybody, they're like, maybe we should get closer, because that's what I always want, is drunk sailors to make sure that I'm not home. So when they were a few feet away from it, they see a cat quietly snoozing on the windowsill, and it's just like a really fucking cold day, Massachusetts. Uh, there's a huge fire um, in this large open fireplace. And they're like, oh, she's home. Also, that cat's here. So she's got to be home. Who travels with a cat? I don't know. But they literally, they, that is something that I did not make up. I didn't make up any of this. I just changed words. But yeah, so suddenly, like, as soon as they're like, I, well, and the cat's here. She just like walks out. She's like, yeah, the old woman is at home. Come on in. And she was really nice to them. But she's also like, y'all just gonna bust in like this. That's mm-mm. And then they went in like one at a time and they get fortunes told to them. And Maul was like trying to fuck them up. She's like, okay, here's what's up. Uh, if you try to stay in America, yeah, you're going to be imprisoned um, or like some other bullshit. And then she said, if you try to leave, you're going to starve on in the water. There's a shipwreck that's going to be a disaster and suffering and death might come to your families. <laughs> I don't think they went back, but uh, she was a very brave woman. 
Uh, she didn't fear anybody, right? Like if a gaggle of drunken soldiers comes up to your house in the 1700s, early 1800s, whatever, you're, that's horrifying now, uh, much less then. But she was like, ah, she was just really chill with that just as much as she was like her own children. And I likely because she was like, I've got powers, motherfucker. The devil's coming for you. Like, so, and then another story is she always had like two big old pockets in her dress, which is like the dream. But back then pockets weren't in how pockets are. Because women didn't need to carry things. Yes. I also think pockets were like a separate accessory mm-hmm. oh, like you to your had clothing one to the outside and she added two so um everyone's like she's so wacky with those pockets she's so eccentric like why even have them and then mystery is solved one day she goes to the grocery and apothecary store of dr lemus and when he wasn't looking she pockets Tea, coffee, sugar, and, like, some other stuff like that. And then, oops, he was looking. And he didn't outright accuse her. But he comes up to her and he's like, Maul, I want my fortune told. I've lost a lot of uh, articles from my store. And I would like to detect the thief. And she's like, oh, what? Oh, LOL. That's wild, man. Like, how did you... That's is that really what you want to know? Like, what's really going on here? Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. I'll I'll read your fortune sometime in the future. And then he's like, I know the thief, and he pulls out everything from her pockets. Oh man! And she's like, embarrassing. I know. You know, she's got to take. You know, she's got to steal that tea because she's going through so much of it, doing her witch shit. Um, because she was reading tea leaves, right? So she would pour out um, a cup of tea, whirl it around, and then suddenly flip it into the saucer. And then wherever the tea grounds at the bottom, that suggests the fortune for the people. So if they're scattered, probably unfortunate in love. Uh, if they're crowded together, you know, oh, you're going to be happy and wealthy. If they're arranged in a long line or series of lines, you're going to live long. You're going to have many children. Um, And then if there were none left in the cup, but one or two, you're going to die young, bro. Bro. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's how she did her magic, um, as well as quite a few stories of how she sneakily did her magic with Becky. But yeah, she died April 9th. Uh, 1813, which it like she saw America become a country. I mean, she predicted it. True. That is true. And then this is just a quote, which is, it's just very 1829. She was connected with respectable ancestors and has left many respectable descendants, many women of beauty and many men of worth and honor. Uh, (laughs) the interesting thing because they do talk about like how all of her kids were like good kids and you know people that have been you know beyond that like they've all been really good like positive people you know not not like a shitty family which i don't think she was shitty i think she was having a good time with her life but the only one in the family who seemed to like have similar powers was her grandfather and she was buried in, across 
almost opposite from the South Street Church in an old graveyard. Spooky. It's September. Spooky. <laughs> the sound of spook there. Well, I, I... So, that was a lot of frauds, guys. Yeah, that's true. <gasps> it was. Mine Everyone's wasn't that different. a bit of a fraud. Yeah, it's just business in the olden days. And the Nowden days. <laughs> and the Snowden days. And the Snowden days, uh, sure. That's a Christmas version, right? The Edward yes. Snowden yeah. days? Yes. Mm-hmm. Happy yes. golden days of yore. Oh, my God. Now I really want to make a movie that's like... Uh, it's just Edward snowed in. I get it. It's just the guy who's Edward and he's mm-hmm. snowed in. Isn't that Edward mm-hmm. Scissorhands? A boy doll what? to a man doll. <laughs> he just is missing the hands. Do you think he had a dick? Mm-hmm. It wasn't I mean, a scissor? No. I know well, Lisa's going to talk about the movie she made me watch I, one time at Peep Show. I didn't make Was it about Edward Scissorhands' that, dick? So, well, <laughs> sure. Um, oh, I don't so, know. You do. Okay. It's very funny. Um, <laughs> so, first off, that's Zach, not me. Um, but so at Peep Show, there is a. There's a couple of fan favorites that we throw in every now and then, and one of them is Edward Penis Hands. <laughs> okay. Whitney, when I say that, what do you think those hands look like? Uh, I think they're fingers with a bunch of, like, dildos on them. Yeah. That's, you wish. Uh, oh, They look okay. like turkey legs. <laughs> Ew. Yep. Why? Uh-huh. Cheaper. I- yeah, and you could probably actually fuck it because that happens. So it's just like, yeah. you know, like a fist. Yeah. And then like the dildos coming off of the fist. So it looks like a turkey leg. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it's just your fingers, wondering... that's like all of us, our penis hands then. Yeah. You can't stretch your, you can't get in that many at the, with just your hand. Well, um, speak for yourself. Oof. Uh, <laughs> I got some hand stretching to do. So. Uh, now, Whitney, I know you are wondering, and yes, she does suck the um, hand penises, uh, and yes, they do okay. ejaculate mm-hmm. was, on her. That was going to be my follow-up question. It's kind of like and the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. It's organic web shooters. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then, yes, he does play bongos with his dick hands mm-hmm. on her titties. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, this just sounds kind of creative now, the way you know, yeah. it's an Honestly, art film. Honestly, the production's good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Well, that's a nice way to end our podcast. Edward dick hands? Is that it? Uh, Edward penis hands. Edward Please. penis hands. Okay, yeah. sorry. Uh, yeah. Dick I'm hands sorry. if you're friends, sorry, but sorry, you know, sorry. his official yeah, family name. Edward penis. It's Christian name. It's Christian name. We love you. Oh, God.